Good morning, everybody. Uh, I was boarding a flight from, from Denver, Colorado to uh, Amsterdam in the Netherlands, a flight of about 10 and a half hours. And even before I, uh, before, as we stepped onto the plane, I noticed to the front left of me there was a, a young couple, uh, turned out to be a young Dutch couple with a little baby, turned out to be like a 12-month-old girl. And uh, to say that this girl was uh, restless would be an understatement. And so uh, as we took off, her uh, restlessness gave way for full-blown, or gave way to full-blown hysteria. I mean, she was going ballistic, screaming. And it soon attracted the attention, as you can, exp as you can imagine, of the aerostasis and others gathering around and trying to help. But the volume was only going up. <laughs> and so two, uh, two hours into this flight, I'm sitting there, and I'm th uh, by then I've, had the, I've made the life-changing choice between chicken and fish. <laughs> I've had a glass of wine, and I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, I've got another eight hours left here, and then a quick change over, another ten hours flight back home. This is not going very well. And so I did the unimaginable. I did the unthinkable. I got out of my chair. I stepped across the aisle. And I walked up to this couple and I said to them, listen, you don't know me from a bar of soap, but I've had a meal, I've had a glass of wine, I'm pretty relaxed, give me your child. <laughs> now as I'm saying this, I'm thinking to myself, Christo, have you gone nuts? <laughs> Do you honestly think that this couple would... Give their most prized possession away like this to a complete stranger. Have you lost your mind? And they went. <laughs> so there it was, 31,000 feet above in the sky, with a screaming 12-month-old baby that I've never set eyes on before. And if you come back next week, I'll tell you how that story unfolded. <laughs> So I'm standing there and I'm thinking, man, I've just got to get this baby away from the immediate vicinity because people needed some relief there. So I go to the back of the plane where there's a little bit more space and I took her in my arms and I pressed her head ever so gently against my heartbeat, which was nice and chilled. And parents of young kids, you'll know the feeling very well that after a while, everything just goes soft. And 10 minutes later, she was in a coma. Her arms dropped. And I held her a little bit longer and then went back to her parents and we placed her in the bassinet. And the next morning as we approached Amsterdam Airport, they had to wake her up for the landing. And we're stepping off the plane and the mother came to me and she said, I want your number. <laughs> and I want it now. But sadly, I had to inform her that I had another flight to the southernmost part of Africa and my fling with her daughter was a one-night stand. But over time, as I reflected on the events of that evening, I've often wondered what would happen in my life if I am courageous enough or perhaps desperate enough to do what this couple, do, what this couple did. 
to do that with my one and only life and to hand it over to God. No questions. No conditions. No transaction. God, if you do this, I'll... No, no. God, here's my one and only life. You created me for this life to be in a worshipful relationship with you. That is why I came onto earth. For that thing. What would happen if I placed my life in your hands and say, God, it's over to you. You control. I trust. What would our lives look like, friends? And more recently, I thought about what would a specific compartment of my life look like. It's an it's a, it's a important part of all our lives. Our financial lives. Our economic lives. Money. What would it look like if we hand over that part of our lives to, say, to God and say, God, I trust you. Could it be that there will be less worry and anxiety and stress and even fear? And so I want to talk to us this morning about money under the heading of secure stocks in a falling economy. Hopefully it will make sense as I go along. Now I know... When a preacher gets up here to talk about money, you guys get nervous, right? Because you immediately think, what does this guy want from me? Now, let me put your mind and your heart at ease this morning. I don't want anything from you, but I want something for you. And if I'm very honest, I want it for myself. Because even we, though we're not aware of it, this insidious force that work in our lives which we welcome with open arms, with devastating results. And that force is materialism. And we are all gripped in that, trying to get free. And so this morning, I want to, by way of introduction, just say four things about materialism very quickly. Number one, materialism is rampant. Dick Staub, in his book, The Culturally Savvy Christian, explains that we live in the most a materialistic time of all, generation of all. He says the following, let me quote. He says, the largest companies in the world are spending billions to drive a diversionary, mindless, celebrity-fueled popular culture down the highway of new technologies and into our lives in order to sell us stuff we don't need. They don't care about us, what we believe or how we want to live. They are unconcerned with what is in our best interest spiritually and intellectually, and in fact, it is in their best interest to keep us spiritually desensitized. They play to our unhappiness, magnifying the feeling that we are missing something essential and that if we have something they offer, we would be fulfilled. They then encourage us to shop, convincing us that shopping will do today what it failed to do yesterday to fill what Blaise Pascal, the French scientist, called a God-shaped vacuum. Materialism is rampant. Secondly, materialism has the power to control our lives. It has, for example, the power to control which job you will take. And so very often the criteria is not, have I got a passion for this thing? Do I love this thing? Am I good at this? Do I work for those around me? By the way, that's the only biblical definition for work that cuts it. The only criteria we think is, how much does it pay? Materialism has the, has the power to control some of our 
closest relationships, relationships between husbands and wives, between kids and parents are often compromised for the sake of material gain. Could it be that our kids don't need more stuff, but they need more of us? Materialism, thirdly, keeps us from asking some of the questions about our lifestyle. When is enough enough? Can I live simpler? Can I be more generous? Do I have to spend so much money on food and clothing and the houses that we live? We have to ask these questions, but materialism stops us from asking them. And then fourthly, and most importantly, materialism can devastate our relationship with God. You see, most people fail to realize that money is both a test and a trust from God. God uses finances to teach us to trust Him. And for many of us, that is the hardest test of all. And so God watches how we use our money to see whether we are trustworthy. If you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Ask Luke 16.11. You see that? Jesus warns that there is a direct relationship between the way that we manage our money and the quality of our spiritual lives. Folks, could it be this morning that the way that we manage our money is preventing God from doing more in our lives? And so... Materialism is a problem. And now that I've depressed all of you thoroughly, let me try and come with a solution to this. And there's so many angles in the Bible, but the one that I've chosen for this morning is Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 24. Piet recently read this passage kind of at the end of a sermon, and it just struck me again of its power. So let's read together verse 19, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, thrust, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also one of the scariest statements in the Bible. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then the light within you is darkness. How great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus asks three very important questions to us in this passage. Let me deal with them one by one. The first question is, what is your treasure? Before you're too quick to answer that this morning. What do you treasure? You see, the human heart is put together in such a way that it would treasure something. I'm not talking about what do you value, because we value many things. I'm talking about what do you value most, in what do you find your identity, your significance, your worth, your security. The human heart is, is 
is put together in such a way that, that we will latch onto that thing that we perceive to be the most valuable and our resources, our thought life, our time, everything will flow towards that thing. Whatever grabs your heart the most deepest this morning, whatever grabs your heart the deepest this morning, that is your treasure. Let's think about that. Before we too quick to jump on to the next point. What's grabbing your heart the deepest this morning? That's what Jesus is asking us. That's the treasure. And we get into trouble when money has an inordinate pull in our hearts. Now in this passage, Jesus makes the distinction, which I want us to see, between eternal treasures, kingdom treasures, and temporary treasures, earthly treasures. So let me say a few things about temporary treasures first. You see, the problem with treasuring anything other than God, fame, career, family, sport, hobbies, my list is pretty exhaustive. You add the blanks. But the problem with treasuring any of those things, my friends, is that they do not last. They are temporary by nature. They are short-lived. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to build your life on any of these things, you need to know that you're setting yourself up for massive disappointment. Why? Because it's short-lived. You will lose it. You will lose it. He's warning us. He's giving us this warning. Why? Because he want, does he want to spoil our fun? What is behind what Jesus is saying? It's not that any of these things are wrong. They are great things. But don't bank on them. Because they're going to disappoint you. They won't last. There's moth. And rust. And thieves. In other words, to build your life on these things will guarantee you heartache and anxiety and loss. Why? Because they're destructible. They're vulnerable. They're breakable. Man, I had to learn that the hard way. I really had to. I don't think I would have learned this lesson in any other way but to lose every cent that we've ever owned as a family. Everything. And that day I pushed the reset button on our finances. We can lose everything. And Jesus is wise. He's not trying to be, he's not trying to be put blame on us. He's just wise. He says, this is wisdom. Don't build your life on these things because they're going to disappoint you. And wealth people can disappear like, we have seen wealth disappear in the last six months like never before. Let's face that. Banks, some of the pillars of a stable society have disappeared overnight. Billions of dollars wiped off their value. Gone. I said, Jesus is wise. And so insecurity, anxiety, and even fear, let's face it, come when, when it dawns on us that we can lose all these things, including our lives. And so the result is this emptiness and disappointment. 
Because earthly treasures, my friends, will always overpromise and underdeliver. I want us to contrast that with the wisdom of treasuring a wonderful God, an awesome Christ, and a transforming kingdom of heaven, which is everlasting, which is enduring. There is no there is no ultimate loss here. We get to have Jesus forever. That's at the heart of the gospel. That if you and I surrender our lives to Christ, that we will be with Him forever. We can never, ever lose Jesus. That investment will pay dividends for the rest of your life. If you're a follower of Christ this morning, you can sit back in your chair and you can say, I'm, I'm so grateful that I've made that decision because I cannot lose this. This is not an investment that will be a fly-by-night. No, no. You put your trust in Jesus. You have Him for the rest of your life. And the kingdom of heaven starts here and now and will last forever. That's good news. And so instead of anxiety, what do we get? We get peace. And instead of disappointment, we get a deep joy. What a pleasure to find our identity, our security, our worth, our significance, to find it in Jesus this morning. Man, I want to appeal to you. If you have found other treasures, I know what that looks like. And I'm still looking for other treasures. But when we come back to this, and we treasure God and everything that He values versus treasuring money and all it can buy, it is a game changer. What are you treasuring, folks? I'm asking you this morning. What do you treasure? The second question that Jesus asked of us is what fills your, vision, your vision? I want to read this two verses again because they're a little bit confusing. It says the following, the eye, of the, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What is Jesus on about? He's talking about the power of our physical eyes. So he's just saying, if you've got good eyes, you're lucky this morning, you walk around, Switzerland's beautiful, you see everything, you appreciate everything, your eyesight's good, you're in touch with the physical reality, okay? But the flip side of that is, if your eyesights are not that good, if you don't see, then you're going to be stumbling into things, you're going to be missing out on things, you're going to miss some of the beauty that God has in store for us. And in verse 23, Jesus turns this description about the benefit of good eyesight into a spiritual metaphor. What's he saying? Let's look at it again. He moves from eyesight to heart sight. He says the phrase, the light within you, and that refers to the eyes of our heart. He's saying if the eyes of our hearts are blind to the reality of God, then our lives will be full of darkness. Jesus is warning us here against the danger of losing sight of what is really important. He says, I don't want you to stumble around. I don't want you to miss out on, on the most beautiful things that I have in store for your life. I don't want you to miss any of those things. I want your eyes of your heart to be open, to see what I have in store for you. And materialism, my friend, has this peculiar effect that it blinds us spiritually. 
It distorts the way that we see things. And the terrifying possibility is that we will not see the kingdom of God because our hearts are captured by other stuff. Blind to what is most beautiful. And so either your vision is filled with God and everything that He values, or your vision is filled with money and everything that it can buy. That's your choice. And it's mine. Which is it for you? The third question Jesus asks is who or what do you serve? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot serve both God and money. And the word master here does not refer to an employer, a boss in the work situation. It's not that at all. It refers to a slave owner. And it was impossible at the time to be owned by two slave owners. Didn't work. So every slave could only have one slave owner. You couldn't have a loyal, a, a dual loyalty. It was to one person. Which one is it that we serve? And similarly, this passage says that we cannot, just like you couldn't choose between two slave owners, you cannot choose between God and money. You have to choose between God and money, excuse me. Richard Foster, one of my favorite writers, theologians, says the following. He says, the rejection of the God of money is the necessary aspect of following Jesus. We want to become apprentices of Jesus. We want to be more like Him. He says, the rejection of the God of money, the love for money. Money has many God-like qualities. You may have noticed this. It gives us freedom and power. It seems to be omnipresent. Most sinister of all is its bits to be om omnipotence. It seems that money is not willing to rest content in its proper place alongside other things that we value. We attach more importance, importance far beyond its worth. In fact, we attach ultimate importance to money. You see, that's why money so easily become a master to us. We attach ultimate importance to it. Money, it is so seductive. It seduces us. It calls us into this thing that, that I can give you power. I can give you security. I can give you a future. I can give you all these things. It promises all these things. It seduces us. And then we succumb. And God's saying, man, come to me for your identity. <laughs> you want to live a powerful life. Come to me. You want security this morning. You want to be free of worry. You want to be secure in the future, secure in God. Come to me. Don't put your faith and trust in something that can disappear tomorrow. Come to me. Jesus is saying we only have capacity for one dominant passion. Which one will it be? Friends, you can't serve God 50-50. God asked for a, the invitation this morning is all or nothing. And so are we going to serve God in everything that He values? Or are we going to serve God in everything that it can buy? 
I want to leave us with, with two applications, which I hope will be helpful. The first one is this. Don't invest your life and money in soon-to-crash stocks. I think a little analogy would be, would be helpful here. So, till very recently in Croatia, the currency was kuna. It was the Croatian kuna. And then at a point, the government made an announcement at a specific date, the kuna will be no more. The currency of the day would be the euro. And so if you were in Croatia at the time, it would make sense that you would gradually begin to change your kuna for euros. And make sure you just keep a little bit of kuna enough to get you through, but ultimately the kuna is going to be worthless. The day came, it was gone, you couldn't use it. And so you, you started changing everything into euro. If you did anything else, you'd be dumb, you'd be stupid. And Jesus is saying the same thing to us here. He's saying, yes, I get it. We, we all need some temporary currency. We need to pay the bills. We get that. But do whatever you can to exchange every bit of temporal currency that you have into eternal currency. Because the currency that we keep here, friends, the day will come that it will be worthless. He says, yes, we need some money to survive, but make sure that you change as much as you can to eternal currency. Jesus is, is telling us that we are crazy to invest in temporal things because they will crash. And so rather invest in the eternal. Now, investment experts always talk to us about you need a long-term view, right? Don't think about three months or three years or 30 years. Think, think longer than that. Jesus is saying, man, I've got a 30 million view, a year view for you here. You invest in, in eternal, in heavenly currency. Your money will be worth more and more all the time. And what's Jesus actually saying is that you can't take your money with you, but you can send it on ahead. Which brings me to the second application, that through generosity, you can invest your life and money in something that will last forever. Friends, here's the simple truth. A right view of God will make you a generous person. I really want you to hear that this morning. If your view of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, if you have your head around that, it will make you gener more generous. And generosity is an investment. It's an investment into the future. So we can't take our treasure with us, but we can send it on ahead by investing in the things that God values. A.W. Tozer puts it like this. He says, as a base thing, as money often is, it can yet be transformed into everlasting treasure. It can be converted into food for the hungry and clothing for the poor, for example. It can keep a missionary activity Act actively winning lost people to the light of the gospel and therefore transform itself into heavenly values. It can underwrite the vital witness of the church. Any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ and His service is immediately touched with immortality. Isn't that a beautiful thought? I, I, I don't think that one day we, when we are in heaven we'll sit, sit there and think, man, 
I'm so grateful that I didn't give more to the kingdom of God. I don't think we'll think that. I think we'll think, man, I wish I gave more to his purposes, his vision, his church, his kingdom, his gospel. Someone said, when God prospers a man, he either, or a woman, he either gains a partner or the devil gains a fool. Generosity. Generosity. So how do we become more generous? Two quick things. The first is that you put your trust in God to provide for you. And this we find difficult. I found it difficult. So only when I was stripped of everything else that I began to believe this. And God provided in ways that I hate talking about ourselves and money. But I can tell you stories if you invite me for coffee that will just blow your mind. We had no idea how we'd get to the end of the month. And God provided. And this is not a transaction. This is not God, if I give you five cents, you give me. That's not what it's about. At all. Our trust in God is to give with abandon. It's the most freeing thing you can do in your life. And we have, Elisa and I have followed this principle of give, save, and live. That's where it starts. It starts with giving. You give of your best. You don't give God the leftovers, the breadcrumbs. Yes, we need to save a little bit. That makes savvy. But there come a rainy day. There come a day that you can't work anymore. You need to save for that. And you need to live off the rest. But it starts with a giving heart. God's in control. Money can't give you control. So free yourself up with the generosity. And the second thing of about generosity I want to say is we take our cue from the cross right Jesus didn't go to the cross and think some formula what is the least I can do can I maybe get away with with 10% and still make sure that my treasure my treasure us people can get saved what's the least I can get by with and he didn't say that what did he say he said I'm all in 100% I'm giving my life. I'm giving everything. And so the cross, in a way, is the, is the standard for our economic, for our giving. And that means from time to time it will hurt a little. I want to say to you, I, don't wanna, I really don't want anybody walking out of this room this morning feeling guilty. But I want to say to you that if there's no cross to your giving, you need to reevaluate your life. Honestly. We take our cue from Jesus. He gave everything. And so we want to follow his example and become the most generous people. And this is a well-resourced church, people. We are a generous people. In the past, when there's been calls for, for stuff, there's been a good response. And so we need to give consistently and regularly to keep the wheels of this movement, this church that's organic, that's alive. We need to keep that moving forward as well as we can possibly do that. That's the basics. And then there come special occasions. Wars break out. Churches are being planted. Always a, there's always a reason for us to go beyond that. And so we need to prepare for that. So when the appeal comes, when there's an opportunity to do something extraordinary in the kingdom of God, we want to be ready. 
take our cue from Jesus and we give everything. And so what is your treasure? What fills your vision this morning? And what do you serve? If it's money, you're on dangerous ground. If it's anything temporal, you will be disappointed. You are flirting with uncertainty, insecurity, and even devastation. And so Jesus' wisdom and his invitation in this passage is let's go for the eternal. Let's go for eternal treasures. Let's see God in his panoramic splendor. Let's see Christ in his multifaceted wonder. Let's advance the kingdom of God in all his stunning dimensions. That's the invitation. You compare that to stuff, man, there's no comparison. Make Christ your treasure. Make him your vision. Make him your master. And you will live the freest way possible for a human to live. And that's what I want for us this morning. Is freedom. Is freedom. I want to ask it one more time. And I just want, maybe we can close our eyes and the band can join us, but just want us to think about this again. Don't answer it too quickly in your own heart and mind. What is your treasure? Just feel this morning, if you've made anything other than our beautiful Savior, Jesus, your treasure, I just want to say you're in good company. Because we've all dabbled there. And I just want to give you a chance in your own words, in your own mind, in your heart this morning to, to come back to Jesus. And to declare again that He is your treasure. And if that's you... Just utter those words to him this morning. He will welcome you back with open arms. He's full of grace. There's no condemnation in this message. None whatsoever. There may be some conviction. But ultimately there's an invitation. Jesus saying, come have more of me. Because I'm willing to give it away freely. Perhaps this morning you've never found the treasure of Jesus. Here's the invitation to you too. It doesn't take any fanfare or no emotional manipulation. It just takes an honest heart that says, Jesus, I've come to the end of myself. And this morning, the 30th of April 2023 is the day that I put my faith and trust in you. I want to tell you that God is so ready to receive you. And if that's you this morning, don't miss this opportunity. It takes an honest heart. 
And I pray, they say, Jesus, please forgive me. I've lived for myself for however long. But this morning, I realized that living for you is the only way to live. And so won't you welcome me into your kingdom? Won't you forgive my sins? And thank you for the grace that you've poured out on me. Thank you for the cross. You gave everything ultimately yourself. And there's forgiveness for you this morning. Thank you, Lord.